Um, good morning, everybody. It's good to be together as a church family. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke 3. I'm David. Uh, if you're new here, welcome. We're so glad you could join us. Do stick around for uh, the Chipotle meal. We also talk about the church, but Chipotle. Um, and uh, no, it's a great time to hear kind of the story of the church, kind of where we've been and where we're headed. We'd love to have you here. Um, we're going to be looking at Luke 3, continuing our series, as I just messed up my iPad here. Um, and then uh, let me read it, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Oh, by the way, before we do that, uh, if you were here last week, we started, we're going through the book of Luke, and we started uh, by looking at, obviously, chapter 1, verse 1. Um, I skipped ahead to chapter 3 just because I'm going to save the Christmas story stuff for December. Okay, so that's, for those of you guys who are like, why are we not doing that? That's why we're, that's why we're there. So chapter 3, uh, I'll go ahead and start down in verse 3. He, that is John the Baptist, went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming to, out to him to be baptized, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our, as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God could raise up children from Abraham. The axe is, front, is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to, the, to be baptized. Teacher, they, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the good news that, that is here. Uh, Lord, we ask for your spirit now uh, in each of, each of our lives, whether we're checking out uh, your teachings, who you are, uh, uh, your faith for the first time, um, or whether we are uh, checking out for the who knows how many times. Lord, would you touch, our, touch us with your spirit, and would you, wor- would you speak through me? I, I ask that you'd help me get out of the way. And uh, as, as actually the same John the Baptist once said, uh, may I uh, decrease and you increase. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me start with a few questions. I wonder if any of you would like to have, if you've never had, a genuine experience of God. I wonder if you would like to know God working in your life. Maybe you've heard of such things and you don't really understand them. Uh, do you want this experience of meeting God? And if you're Christian, maybe you've been so for a long time, would you like a fresh feeling of God and uh, the Holy Spirit? Uh, do you feel the need, as I often have felt, uh, the need for a fresh start. Uh, would you like Jesus to draw near to you in a new and fresh way? If you answer yes to any of these questions or would like to answer yes, want to answer yes, then the text before us is for you. Um, it is of John the Baptist, 
a, a really key figure in the Bible. It's interesting to me, whenever you see movies about Jesus' life uh, and the role is cast for John the Baptist, it's always this big, burly dude. So Charleston Heston was John the Baptist, which is about, yep, that sounds about right. I don't know what the deal is, if it's because he like, spent some time in the wilderness, he's kind of got the, the rugged you know, uh, thing about him, but he's always, he's always this man's man's kind of dude playing him. But he's just an essential figure in the Bible, just really key figure. Um, and one way we know this is because he shows up in all four of the gospel accounts, all of, all of the books, Matthew, Mark, John, and then, the, of course, the book that we're looking at today in our series, Luke. They all mention him. There's any number of stories that are mentioned in one or two, uh, a few in, in, all, in three, but, but very rarely do we have someone or their message recorded in all four. Well, John the Baptist is that guy, um, and uh, so therefore he's of critical importance. Um, and what is his purpose? What is his calling? Uh, it was ab- abundantly and intimately clear to him, which, you know, I think we respect here in the Silicon Valley. We have this obsession about mission statements, life statements. Uh, this guy knew his very clearly, very intimately. And his calling, his purpose was to prepare the way of the Lord. Of course, uh, to pr- prepare the way for Jesus. Well, why is that? Well, verse 6 tells us, so that all people will see God's salvation. Uh, that's what Jesus is all about. So here's another way of thinking about it. The, the point of John in all the gospel accounts is always to prepare the way of the Lord, which is to say that not only does John teach us about who Jesus is and what he wants in our lives, out of our lives, and the, the people he calls us to be, but John actually makes it possible for us to meet Jesus and, and benefit from his coming. Uh, another way to put this is to think of it in terms of it's impossible to meet Jesus uh, in a living and vital way unless we go through John the Baptist and his message. This is the way God has laid it out. Uh, This is the route. Uh, We have to first hear John the Baptist. And if you've ever wondered what these things look like in our lives, how we prepare the way in our our own hearts, here it is uh, in John. Uh, Whether that's initially for you at the outset as you're you're looking into the faith, or continuously, that is, over over the course of one's life. It's all right here. Okay, so the question is, uh, is, of course, how? Um, and if you know, as we, as we dig in here, anything about uh, John's life, you know uh, there's this one word that kind of swirls around any, any association with him, and that is the word repent. If you've seen any of the movies or you've read, he's always saying, repent, repent, and, and it shows up here in our, in our text. It's, it's really important to who he is and his message. Verse 3 says, he, that is John, went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Actually, in my humble opinion, forgiveness is, is not the best of translations here. It gets at part of what John is saying, but it doesn't get it in its entirety. The, the, a more literal translation would be remission instead of forgiveness. So, he came preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now you see why our translators probably chose forgiveness instead. It's a word we don't really use. What does uh, remission of sins mean? Uh, the idea behind remission is it's not only forgiveness, but also liberty and deliverance. Uh, some people uh, think that repentance is mostly about feelings, uh, especially feeling sorry about you know, sin in your life, say. Um, and while it's certainly good to feel sorry about sin, the word repent is not a feelings word. It's an action word. Uh, and John told, John told his listeners to make a change of mind, uh, to not merely feel sorry for what they've done, but repentance speaks, speaks to a change of direction. And what, what I love about this text in front of us here is it gives us a really powerful metaphor to help us really understand what repentance is. If you look at verses 4 through 6, it says, As is written in the prophet of Isaiah, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight his path. 
Every way shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall be, become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. I love this metaphor that wouldn't have been lost on the people in that time, both John's time or 680 years before John in, in the time of uh, the one he's quoting, the prophet of Isaiah. They would have known what he's talking about. Who do you make straight paths for? Who do you clear the road for back, back then? Who did you do that for? It was for the king. And not just any king. There was a lot of kings back then. It was for the king of kings, the emperor. Um, back then, whenever the king set out uh, w- with his entourage, right, he'd first send out uh, his emissaries to all the villages he was going to pass through on the way to wherever he was going. And in those villages, these emissaries would say, hey, make way for the king. Prepare the way for the king. Aren't you guys lucky? Isn't this a great honor, which they would have understood as such? The king's coming through. Make way. And the towns got in, got rallying together to make way for the king. If there were any boulders, you know, kind of on the main path through the town, they'd go out there and they'd clear out those boulders. Uh, when normally, you'd, you know, how things would probably work is if there was a big boulder in your, in your town on the, on the main road going through it, what people would usually do is just say, well, there's a boulder there. We're not going to take care of that. We're just going to go around the side paths and we have these side alleyways and there's all, all that kind of flow of, of traffic through the town. But when the king was coming, you got out there, and you took care of those boulders. Think of it this way. If I were to tell you that God were coming over to your place tonight, what would you do? I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd stop the sermon, let us pray, and I'd run home, and I'd try to, figure, I'd try to get things in order. And I'm not just talking spatially, right? I'm not just like saying, hey, I want to make sure the space looks good. And like, I, I would, We would probably be like, okay, I, I need to make a phone call to a few folks here. There's some folks that you call them, you're like, you know, I should have called you years ago. And I just, you know, I just, I feel really bad. I should, I should have made this call, but I'm sorry about this and that. You, you hear what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe you'd run to the office real quick and, and, and uh, change things up that, that, that probably were out of order. Um, this, in a sense, is what repentance is. Now, where my analogy of playing, you know, if God were coming over your house starts to break down, is it is not out of a heart of, oh, no, God's going to get me if I don't. But it's out of a heart of make, making the call that the king's ways are the king's ways in our life. It's saying in our hearts, uh, with a heart posture uh, towards the king, uh, that we're not living the life of love, mercy, justice, uh, other-centeredness that he calls us into to have a change of mind, to have a change of heart. Uh, I'm not what I ought to be. Uh, C.S. Lewis, an atheist who became Christian, uh, wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, uh, about this of, of repentance. Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you are sorry, realizing that you have been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor, that is the only way out of the hole. The process of surrender, this movement full astern, is what Christians call repentance. I had this article that, that came into my newsfeed uh, this last week uh, entitled, Scientists Have Identified the Driving Force Behind All Your Darkest Impulses. Sounds like a great read, but I was like, I gotta push this. Um, so I pushed it, and, and it was talking about they, they they call this the D factor or the the dark factor of personality, and they were showing how it exists in everyone, 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 each and every single one of us. We have these dispositional tendencies towards egoism. They say Machiavellianism, moral disengagement, narcissism, psychological entitlement. Uh, uh, sadism, self-interest, spitefulness, and there, there's, a, there's a whole list here. It's a fascinating study. You can check it out uh, later. But for our purposes, it's just a nuanced understanding of what the Bible calls sin. 
what the Bible says exists in every single one of us that's, that's, that's in each and in every one of us. And what is so profoundly radical in this text is who is responding to John's message of repentance and who is not. Uh, if you look at who is not, check out verse 8. Who's not responding to, 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 to John's message of repentance? It's the children of God. It's the, it's the religious um, the ones coming to John and saying, please don't tell me about repentance. I'm of the lineage of Abraham. Uh, you know, what, what does John say to them? Like, don't, be, don't even begin to say of yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. What, what's John saying? He's saying pedigree, uh, identifying as a follower of God, uh, and such things is, is not seeing, verse 6, God's salvation or God's salvation worked out in our life. So, in other words, going to church... Uh, saying that we're Christian doesn't necessarily prepare the way for the, for the Lord. Um, uh, think about this. It's really interesting to me that the very folks that you would think would want to make the path smooth and prepare, prepare the way of the Lord here in this text are the very ones getting in the way of that. You see that? Uh, they're the ones saying, we don't need this. We have all that we need. Uh, Jesus at one point said, uh, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Uh, what did he mean by that? He was not saying, if you look closely enough and you understand Jesus, he was not saying, you know what, there really are some people that they, they got, they've got it all figured out. They're good. They're healthy. Okay, I haven't come for those. He was not saying that. If you look carefully at what Jesus was saying, what Jesus says over the course of his entire ministry, even by the way, I believe in that thought, is in complete alignment with what John, the person who came to prepare the way for him, was saying, and that is Jesus offers help to all those who recognize that they need it. Uh, and the religious can reject this. I go to church, surely that's enough. Uh, the non-religious can have this approach. I don't need Jesus. What's the sense in it? Um, any of you guys remember uh, Jesse the Body Ventura? You guys remember that dude? You guys are like, oh yeah, WWF. Back when it was WWF, not WWE, which whatever. Um, he became a he became a governor of Minnesota, I think, right? Did he become governor of Back when, you know, these bodybuilders and wrestlers were... Anyways, uh, and he, so he was a way... Jesse the Bod, right? He had a way of really characterizing some thoughts, right? And he, and he came out, I remember, um, he said, oh, you know what, Christianity is just for the weak. I don't need Christianity. Christianity is for the weak. He, kind of, he's, he, put it, he put words to that, which, you know, in a very real sense, he's right. Christianity is for the weak. Jesus is for the weak. But Jesus, John the Baptist, the Bible is saying, and by the way, Jesse the Bod, by the way, anybody, we are, you are all weak. We are all weak. And that's the point. We need Jesus. Um, there's this interesting statement that, that John makes of Jesus here that has always been puzzling to me. And of course, as I go to have to, you know, I say have to, but I come to preach the text. I'm like, okay, I really got to wrestle through with this. Um, you know, just to have some thought on it. Verse 17, John talking about Jesus says, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor. What does that mean? Here, here's here's my, my thinking, is the thing about Jesus is we, we, we can't remain neutral about him. We can't uh, be remain ambivalent towards him. Uh, you either have to move towards him or away from him if you come to him on his terms. Does that make sense? Like, there's this, there's this thing where we either have to move towards him or away from him, and that's essentially what repentance is. It's the gate that we decide to either walk through or not walk through. 
Um, and there's so many accounts in the Bible. There's so many stories in the Bible, chock full of stories of people who either decided to walk through that gate of repentance, if I can put it that way, or say, you know what, I'm going to pass. For instance, there's, uh, there's this guy who's commonly known as the rich young ruler. Uh, his, his story, I think, is in Mark 10. Uh, uh, you, you can check it out. He came to Jesus, this rich young ruler, and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, which is a great question, right? And he was asking probably the greatest person to ask that question of. Uh, and in many ways, that's the question we're asking today. How do we see God's salvation? Verse 6 of Luke 3. Uh, and he asked, he's a good teacher, what must I do to inherit, ter- inherit uh, eternal life? And Jesus responded, good? Why do you call me good? There's no one good except God alone, which, by the way, is a little theme of what we talked about, how Jesus is saying no one's good. And yet, if he could have claimed good, he could have claimed good for himself. Be that as amazed at good, who's, who's good but God alone? You have heard the laws. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't defraud, uh, you know, honor your father and mother. He listed out the, the, uh, a good portion of the dead commandments, to which the rich young ruler came back and said, teacher, I've done all of those since I was a little, little guy. And it says in the text, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he said, okay, one thing you're still lacking. Go sell all your possessions, give to the poor, then come back and follow me. And it says, at this, the man, uh, his face fell, and he turned, and he went away, because he had much wealth. Now, what was going on there? What was Jesus doing there? Um, was he saying, man, you just need to get rid of all your possessions and, cu- and give them to the poor, and then you will see salvation? Is that what he was saying? If that's what he was saying, what about the other things that this guy was saying, uh, doing? You know, at least he, so he thought. That's not what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was doing in this moment as he looked at him and loved him was he was exposing to this man's heart tenderly that he had something that he saw as his way over the king's way. Something that he was unwilling to say, you know what, I don't want to remove that burden, that, that, excuse me, that boulder. I, I like my boulder. Um, and he, he didn't want to do that. Um, that guy said, you know, I don't want to walk through that gate of repentance. And then there's this other story of Zacchaeus, the, the chief of tax collectors, um, who uh, basically uh, 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 had a similar experience with Jesus. He's a very rich guy. Uh, he um, he uh, heard that Jesus was coming into the town, and so Zacchaeus, being a short man, if you know the story, climbed a tree to get over the crowd and see where Jesus was, was coming from. And Jesus came up to that tree, looked straight up, and he said, Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus, come down, for I must go to your house today. And what happened in Zacchaeus' life on that day? Utter life transformation. He, that day, later at his home, he got up and he declared in front of his friends, you know what, if I have cheated anybody, which he had, had cheated plenty of people being a tax collector in that day, if I've cheated anybody, then I'm going to pay back them fourfold and I'm going I'm to take care of the poor. I'm just going to start living in this way. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Why? Because he did give to the poor and the rich young man didn't? No, because Zacchaeus started to understand at a heart level because of who Jesus is, because he is the king, that his heart posture should start to begin to move in the direction of what the king wants and how he, he calls us to live. Um, this is repentance. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that starts in our hearts. And the folks who are not receiving are the people that you think were receiving, and the people who are not receiving it are the people who are receiving it. For instance, if you look back in Luke, 12, uh, Luke 3, Verse 12 is the tax collectors who were coming up. We already talked about that in terms of Zacchaeus coming to him. The soldiers came up to him, which this is not to take aim at soldiers. We have some great, we have some, uh, some, some good, good ones here in, in current. Uh, this is a different time. Who were the soldiers back then? These were the extorters. These were the oppressors. Why? Because they had the backing of the Roman Empire. They got their way, and you didn't cross it. 
Um, but, G, but John was saying, this is how you come. This is, it's this repentance. It's through this gate that we recognize, acknowledge, and begin to turn our life um, from the one we had by in a, uh, starting with a repentant heart, starting to move towards him with a repentant heart. And what we see here is uh, John was calling folks in this way, and, and the people who would receive it are the people who had to open hearts, the people who were willing to surrender to UCS Lewis's work. God, I want and I need your help. I want to change. Would you help me? Uh, that's repentance. Um, but we, what we also see in this text is it's not just a one-time event. It's an ongoing thing. Uh, if you look at uh, verse 8, uh, John really calls them to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, I love that metaphor, fruit. Um, this, is the, this is the Christian life. It's like fruit. Uh, I, a couple of months back, I think it was a couple months back, I, I talked about the example of Cindy and our kids growing a lemon tree out on our porch, and I was, I was making fun of them, okay? Here's me repenting, okay? I was making fun of them, and uh, because, because Cindy, and she, she, she's the one who tells you this, she's always like, I have a black thumb, everything doesn't grow, and that sort of thing. Well, I was actually out there yesterday, and lo and behold, these lemons, like the little bulbs that started, I don't know if you call them bulbs, but I'll call them bulbs, like, that started to, to form, are now about the size of lemons. And it's like, oh, okay, I need to repent. You, you're growing something here. And I, I, um, but what's amazing to me, too, though, is people still come over and say, oh, these are limes. What a great lime tree. And I'm just like, they're not limes, but they look like limes because they're still green. Like, they're about the size of lemons. Are you following me? It's like bearing fruit happens over time. It takes time, and, it, and, it, and it's something that, that will happen as we, repent, as we come to the Lord and say, I need your help. I don't have this right. It's something that's produced in us, and we, we get to bear the fruit of it. This is the Christian life, not to wallow in sin. That's not repentance, but to continually reflect on own and with God's help cast off the different areas in our life that we need liberty and deliverance from. Uh, you know, remember when I talked about the D factor that scientists are calling it the dark factor of personality? Uh, the Bible talks about those things, but it also talks about the, the, the positive side, the light side of that sort of thing. The fruit of the Spirit, patience, hope, peace, love, self-control, and there's, and there's, there's more, more there. Um, but it takes time to produce. Yeah, I, the, the example that always comes into my mind is to say that I'm, I'm just not the most patient person in the world. You can ask Cindy. Actually, don't don't ask Cindy. Um, I'm just I'm not the most patient in the world, but I'm a lot more patient than what I used to think I was. When I was a younger guy, before I got married, before I had kids, like, I just thought I was pretty patient. Not in a, like a self righteous way, like yeah, I'm this you know patient guy. But if you'd asked me, I'd have been like, yeah, I'm a patient guy. Not patient, <laughs> you know, this side of, of of having kids and just trying to work that out. Um, but but ongoing repentance in my life has been identifying that I'm not patient, admitting it more than I care to admit, needing help from God in admitting that I need to admit it, um, because before God, I'm actually not a patient guy, and I need his help. Um, I don't want to be impatient, but, but I am, and I probably am more so than, than, I, than I care to, to admit, and so I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm asking for help, and I'm trying the best with God's help, his patience with me to be patient, and over time, I feel like I'm still not very patient, um, but I'm kind of like, I believe, like that lemon that still looks like a lime. You know, I'm getting there, I'm moving closer, um, and I think that's kind of what we're talking about here. If you take, if you take my old self and transplanted him and put, put him, me, him in, into my life now, boy, I'd, I'd like fall apart. 
in terms of patience, but, but the Lord has been graciously, from the inside out, um, uh, working patience in my life. It's, it's, a, it's a bearing fruit process. It happens over time, and it, and it comes from the inside out. It is fruit that is born out of the seed that is repentance. Um, and when uh, that shift takes place in our, in our hearts, He meets us and ministers to us and through us. Uh, there have been a number of studies uh, over the years of uh, spiritual awakenings and spiritual revivals uh, throughout history. And this is not just a Christian thing, by the way. I remember studying this at Cal. Uh, there's just been spiritual awakenings, they'll call them, or revivals over the years. Uh, there's been a bunch. There are these times when, uh, uh, you know, lots of, there's, there's just like widespread acts of love, generosity, just like that no matter what measure you use, whether you're religious or not, you're like, okay, something crazy is happening. Uh, tons of people are become Christian, put their faith in Jesus. There's just been those times, these revival periods. Um, and I, so I was, looking, I was looking into it at one point, and uh, somebody was saying that uh, they identified in studying all these things the key ingredient for all these revivals, for all these spiritual awakenings. Um, and here, here's what the person said. One secret, the, the, the one secret is always a fresh cleansing. A sudden realization that God hates sin, a sudden sensitivity in His presence, a sudden realization that I can't be in His presence if I don't, take, don't make that right and that right and that right. In other words, the key ingredient of God showing up in these sorts of ways, communally, but also in our lives, is repentance. God, I can't do this, and I need your help. Would you work in me? Would you help me? Because I, I, I can't even do it if you don't help me. Um, this is why this is this is Jesus' big opening scene. Okay? We're looking at the book of Luke and we're looking at him coming into the scene and we hear the gospel in Jesus' name. And as we look at Luke, we're gonna see Jesus, we're gonna walk with Jesus as we talk about in our series title. But this is his grand entrance. This is great. There's no paparazzi, there's no red carpet. His grand entrance was what? A humble, loving message of prepare the way for the king. And when that king came, how did he come? Just walking up, looking like everybody else, um, but with his teachings, with it, with the, with the with the gospel message and salvation that can be found, and we have to receive it. We have to enter all of that through repentance, uh, not through calling ourselves Christian, not even going to church or saying saying our prayers, all, all wonderful things, but but starting with this heart posture of, God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own, and I receive what you've done for me. Um, the remission of sins, what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. So the question then becomes, would you receive that? Um, it means saying, praying to the Lord, God, I don't have it all together. I'm regularly missing the mark. I want to be the person you call me to be. Would you help me? Um, and if you have received this, if John the Baptist were here today, what might he be calling out in your life? And here's why I love, you know, being on the stage and not really knowing. But, like, what would be the boulder in your life? In fact, you know, you, did you notice when he was, when the, the text was, was read, John was out there saying, you brood of vipers. Uh, when I read that, I was like, dude, that dude, that guy's rude. Like, what a jerk. And yet, you got to wrestle through it if you believe the text to all be, you know, uh, uh, consistent and accurate and, and, and right, which, by the way, was last week's message. Um, the verse 18 is saying, and, and with similar words, he proclaimed the good news. So somehow, that brood of vipers comment is actually good news. How can that be? Uh, it seems to me that John was giving a wake-up call. It was actually really loving and caring thing. He was saying, guys, especially these religious leaders, guys, would you see your need for the king? 
Um, what boulder might God, what, how might John in, in your own life, or just how, how might the, the Lord and His Spirit work in your life? What, what, might, if you, what might the boulder be that needs to be clearing? Um, that you might say, you know what, Lord, I need help with this boulder. I don't even think I can move it on my own, but I recognize that as a boulder, and I wanted to hand this over. Would you help me? Um, here's what's amazing to me about this text is when we do that, something amazing will happen. Uh, did you, it says, it says um, when we clear the path, we prepare the way for the Lord, it says every valley shall be filled in, every mountain will be made low. Uh, it was talking about how the kings would then go out, and they'd, they'd after the people were there, they'd, they'd pave the way, and they'd do all that sort of stuff. But no king could level mountains. No king could make hills low. But that's what Isaiah, 680 years before John, and then John was proclaiming here, Jesus is coming to make every mountain and hill made low. And that's the promise. The promise is not that the mountain would be made low and, and such that your life will be easy. If that was the promise, then what about virtually every single character in the Bible who faced hardship? Job. You know, John the Baptist, by the way, he was beheaded. Jesus, if somebody was righteous and deserved God's blessing, he, went to, he was tortured and he went to the cross. It's not every mountain will be made, made low in the sense that life will be easier and you'll get all the little blessings that we sometimes can make things out to be that... Uh, our life will be prosperous and all that sort of thing. That's not the promise. The promise is that we will see God's salvation in our life, and we will see it worked out in our lives as it bears fruit and into the next life that we will have a relationship with him forever. That's the call here. That's the amazing thing that God is doing and he invites us into is to see, receive, and experience his salvation through the way that John mentions here in repentance and through us to help all people understand that it's available for them. Uh, let's pray.